0: One of the things that makes English especially hard is the fact that there are words that have different meanings and are used in different contexts, but they actually come from the same roots.
1: The contraronyms can create confusion that you don't understand which is being asked, and that's what's sort of beautiful and frustrating about it.
0: Coming up
2: on Word Matters, when a word is its own opposite and a pair of intertwined, commonly confused words... I'm Emily Brewster, and Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. On each episode, Merriam-Webster editors Neil Servan, Amon Shea, Peter Sokolowski, and I explore some aspect of the English language from the dictionary's vantage point. When you hear that the language is up to something illogical, like letting a word mean one thing and the exact opposite of that one thing, what do you do? Do you cleave to your opinion, that is, adhere to it tightly? Or do you let the new information cleave your previous conception of the language in two, that is, split it? Here's Neil Servan with the story of Janus' words.
1: English is clever. It can also be very confusing, frustrating. Create confusion just for the sake of creating confusion. We have these words that can sometimes mean one thing, sometimes mean another, and sometimes they can mean two things that seem completely opposite. We have a word like sanction. The word sanction can mean to allow something, or it can mean to penalize someone, like you're sanctioned by the government, sanctioned by the Senate for breaking a rule. So you've got this word that means essentially two opposite things. And there's actually a term for this in English. There's a few terms for this in English because the phenomenon of this is so common that it merited a term. One of those terms is contronym. Contra meaning like opposite and nim as we find in synonym and antonym and homonym.
2: can be spelled C-O-N-T-R-A as well as c o n t r o -O o n y m.
1: Another term is genus word. It's a little more clever. Janus, J-A-N-U-S, is the Roman god that was identified with doors, gates, and all beginnings, and Janus was known for having two opposite faces. The word Janiform means two-faced. Does it?
3: Yes. Janiform not a terribly common word. It's like it's a good
1: insult, though. We haven't heard that enough. When you deal with two-faced people, you never hear them called Janiform.
2: They're also called antagonims and autoantonyms auto I like antagonism.
0: Antagonism is new to me. I yeah. like it.
2: Yeah, that's got enough anger
0: behind it, <laughs> too. <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, for people who are just frustrated by these words, we're going to call them antagonisms. Like they're the literary enemy. They're the Moriarty of the English language.
2: (laughs) Well, if you're talking about the word literally as Mm. being belonging in this class, then that's the one you call the antagonym,
1: Right, because it infuriates so many people when it can mean according to what has been in literature, what is written, or what is figurative, which
3: is opposite, and that is... whole can of worms right and personally i have to say i don't consider figurative and literal to be actual opposites
2: this is a thing right yeah that's not a classic example at all. Right. So, so what are some more classic examples of contronyms well there's the verb to cleave
0: yeah oh yeah
1: to cleave in one sense means to adhere firmly and closely or loyally and unwaveringly as in you cleave to traditions Another sense, you split something like with a cleaver or mm-hmm. with an axe or something. So in one sense, something is sticking together. The unsense, it's coming apart. And you've got other examples such as, I think one of my favorites might be oversight. To have oversight over something means you get to see all of it. But if you commit an oversight, it means you did not see it or you made an error that you should have seen. It's usually, there's a sense that if something you should have been taking care of that you didn't and you let it slip. You committed an oversight.
3: Yes. I think dust is a real classic example <laughs> oh, because it yeah. means either to remove the dust from something, as yeah. in dusting the furniture, or to place dust on as in dusting the cake.
2: Yes, and this was famously treated in one of the Amelia Bedelia books, which this I'm sure you all have read Amelia Bedelia.
3: Times. This is oh my goodness. En- the entire plot line of Amelia Bedelia. The entire oeuvre is based on controversy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's totally true. She is asked to dust the furniture. And yeah. so she takes the very expensive body-dusting powder and sprinkles it all over the furniture. That's the
3: one where that she makes beautiful. them a sponge cake by cutting up the kitchen sponges and baking <laughs> them, I
2: think. No, I think it's actually the one where she dresses the turkey by sewing it a suit. I think it's later oh, actually. Oh, and is this the
3: one with the chocolate fish as well, where she takes yes, the raw fish so. and she dips no, them in chocolate?
2: that's a different one.
3: See, that's the problem when you use contronyms as the basis for every book that you write, is that they kind of blend together in the maze of time.
1: That's true, that's true. And it's this notion, of course, that the contronyms can create confusion that you don't understand which is being asked, and that's what's sort of beautiful and frustrating about it. But how do contronyms develop? How do we arrive at a meaning to adhere together and to separate for cleave? In that case, both words came to English individually.
0: So they were two separate words. They were
1: two separate words. The one meaning to adhere comes from the old English verb cliffion, meaning to adhere, The one meaning to split along the grain comes from the Old English verb kleophon, which means to split. So it was already in Old English as two separate verbs that then entered English and ended up being spelled and pronounced the same way. With sanction, I think we're dealing with something different. Obviously, that comes from one root, and then we're dealing with the idea of things being sanctified, things being allowed according to what is sacred, I guess, and then splits into this You've allowed it, and then you've come down on someone and then caused them to be penalized for it.
2: Right. This starts with a formal decree. There's a formal decree. And the decree can either be (laughs) like, yes, we like this. No, you messed up.
1: Right. And so you can be sanctioned either way. So that
0: went from the kind of the broad to the narrow in meaning. And then there's another one that went from the narrow to the broad, which is peruse, which originally meant to examine with careful attention. And then now it means to examine with inattention, essentially, to not pay careful attention. It has
1: broadened so much that people essentially just use it as a synonym for read, even when they are trying to heighten their vocabulary. I think it's really hard to interpret whether it's going to actually be involve careful attention or right. involve inattention. I
0: usually assume it means without much attention.
3: Similar to what happened with bemuse. Oh.
0: It's gone from confusion to being
3: more or less a loose synonym for amuse. amuse. Oh, right, yeah, right.
2: right. right. A lot of times there is no confusion with these. I think for the most part, they survive, they endure, because there is not confusion. Which Cleave, people sure. are not confused about right. which one. Which
3: yeah. is, I think, is so fascinating about this is that the example that people always try to latch on to is literally, which, A, is not a true contronome in my view, and but people love to say, you know, if we let words mean something different than what they're supposed to, whatever that means, that the language will lose its specificity, except that that doesn't actually happen. These are words such as oversight, which have literal, in the true sense of the word, whatever we want that to mean, that have actual opposite meanings. And nobody is really ever confused. Nobody ever says of the House Oversight Committee, do you mean oversight as in you are looking over, or do you mean oversight as in you've forgotten? It's something the committee that it? makes all the errors. Right. <laughs> it's <laughs> obvious what they mean. And we all just kind of roll with it based on context. Context is king here. Context, actually context. does everything. Yeah. They actually play on that in the movie Quiz Show, I believe.
1: Rob Morrow's character is on the phone with somebody and is giving them heck about something they didn't provide, and the guy says, it's just an oversight. And someone else in the room says, we're an oversight committee. It (laughs) plays on that, and, and it just enjoys that richness of the irony of it. And what's interesting, though, is that these are still happening. We're still creating new senses of words, and then they're finding senses that are almost contrary to previously existing senses. And I think of the word drop past 10 years we've heard about new series, new episodes dropping when they're released to the public.
2: I think it started in music, right? An album dropping a mixtape dropping. An album
1: dropping, a mixtape dropping. It is now available. But before you would say drop to say, to make something go away, you would say, I want to drop the subject.
2: Right. Or a musician was dropped from a label.
1: A musician was dropped
2: from a label. They're not there anymore.
1: So drop has this sense of being separated from something which you can see literally you you drop a piece of paper. It separates from your hand. But now something drops. It appears. It appears on the table. Mm. Maybe it's from turntables. Actually records actually dropping. I don't know.
2: Dropping a name is a similar kind of like depositing into a conversation this name that's going to impress people. That is older. That also is presenting something. It's
1: the same kind of way. Both of them make sense perfectly on their own from what
3: we know of the verb to drop.
2: That's right. And people are not confused about this. Mm. You drop the subject. You have not raised mm-hmm. the subject. Mm-hmm. You've dropped it.
3: It's slightly older than drop, but still a relatively recent one. And one of the more prominent examples of a Janus word is bad. Bad meaning good. I'm sure it existed in African American vernacular prior to Sweet Sweetback's Badass song and Shaft, but that's when it kind of entered the popular <laughs> lexicon. At that point, and people became aware of bad meaning good, and it's such a dramatically opposite meaning. And yet, we rarely hear people say, "Do you mean bad isn't bad bad or bad isn't bad good?" You know, like, I mean, <laughs> right. it's, we just figure it out.
2: And more recently, sick, sick moves. If yes, somebody has sure. sick moves. It's not the same as somebody who is not Actu- feeling well.
1: Actually sick and moving like they are sick. Right, right. Or just a
0: superlative compliment, you know, that guitar player is sick. Yes. Something like that. That's right. Ammon made the point that it's all about context. Some of these, I think, are hiding in plain sight, such basic words like clip. Clip on is to attach something, but if you clip a branch, then you're cutting it off. Now, of course, the context is so clear with these that you never think of it. Or if the word fast which means moving quickly or immobile. Fact is, some of these, I think, almost hiding in plain sight because the context makes it crystal clear when we are using each one. But it does make for English to be such a difficult language to negotiate.
3: Right, like he performed terribly or he was terribly excited. Terribly is taking on a distinctly different meaning. Right. But even in that case, we can figure it out. Having grown up with the language, it's much easier.
0: That's a really good example because... It's quite a subtle distinction, and yet it's a big difference in meaning.
3: And occasionally
1: you can invert this phenomenon and take two words that are seemingly opposite, and they turn out to actually mean the same thing in certain contexts. I think of hot and cool. You know, you've got a a hot new performer, somebody that's really popular, and so it's cool. Cool Mm -hmm. has always meant what's popular. Finding these creative paths for these words to take, and then you end up at the same point just because you're kind of looking for this new expression, and then it happens.
2: There's language doing its work for the people who use it. You're listening to Word Matters. I'm Emily Brewster. We'll be back after the break with the difference between iniquity and inequity. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media.
0: I'm Peter Sokolowski. Join me every day for The Word of the Day, a brief look at the history and definition of one word available at merriam-webster.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more podcasts from New England Public Media, visit the NEPM Podcast Hub at nepm.org.
3: I'm Amon Shea. Do you have a question about the origin, history, or meaning of a word? Email us at wordmatters at wcom
2: The words iniquity and inequity mostly appear in distinct contexts. People confuse them only if one, usually the less common word iniquity, is unfamiliar. But the words are remarkably similar, and if you put the two side by side, they start to almost seem like a magic eye puzzle. Here's Peter Sokolowski on a pair of very close yet quite distinct words.
0: One of the things that makes English especially hard is the fact that there are words that have different meanings and are used in different contexts, but they actually come from the same roots. And we often call these doublets. So some of them are kind of obvious. Some of them are less obvious. I mean, the words grammar and glamour, for example, have the same origin, but they came into English at two different times and were sort of bruised in different ways as they came through the language. The words platoon and peloton are two that I like because platoon means a group of soldiers that came into the language in the 17th century. And peloton is a group of bicycle riders or racers that came into the English language actually fairly recently, maybe 50, 60 years ago. And yet those two words are actually from the exact same word in French, peloton, spelled in the way that we spell peloton. So all this means is that in the early modern period, we were sort of less friendly or less accurate with our rendering of French spellings. And the peloton looks more like a French word, but they're one word borrowed twice. So that means they're two words. There's other examples of this, like the words warranty and guarantee, and that just simply has to do with the fact that some of these consonants changed over time in France before they were borrowed across the channel into English. So there's a lot of these kind of words that are connected at their roots, but we make a distinction, and sometimes there are words like tulip and turban that we don't think of as being related at all. And then there's another kind of doublet, which is the kind that is so close that some people make a distinction and others don't, like further and farther. I can see a convenient way to isolate the two words is to make farther the kind of literal distance and further the more metaphorical connection. Right.
2: But if you look at the history of the actual usage of those words, they have been used interchangeably over the centuries. Yeah, for, for a thousand are, years. In, in most contexts, they are indistinguishable from one another historically. They do have different, if you mean moreover, you're not going to say and farther, Right. you want to say. So uh, they do have some distinct uses. But if you're talking about a distance,
0: they're both used. They're both used all the time. And no speaker of English really is going to have a bad instinct for that. You know, they're going to say one of those words and it it will be understood perfectly. There's another way that these kind of doublets happen, which is when one word comes more or less directly from the ancient root language into English, and the other one is actually created in English from the constituent parts of the word of the ancient root language. An example of this is the pairing inequity and iniquity. And I have to say, I always thought these were a single word. (laughs) I wasn't sure that these were two words at all. And it took a while for me to sort of slowly separate them. And I realized that my own understanding of these words kind of parallels the way in which they have been understood or misunderstood or used or misused in the history of the English language, because we do have two different words. Iniquity is the older one, and it came from French, iniquité, this French word that goes back to a Latin word that meant wickedness or sin. So wickedness is the key term. This is the word that's used in the Bible a lot. Well,
2: I only know it in the phrase den of iniquity, or almost only, right? Like when I think of iniquity, I think of a den of iniquity. It has to do with gross injustice, with wickedness.
0: Exactly. And that sounds like a biblical phrase. The actual phrase in the King James Version is den of thieves. But den of iniquity means like a place where evilness lives. That's sort of as bad a place as you can get. But inequity, with an E, means unfairness or injustice. And so these two words are very close, because you could say injustice is similar to wickedness, and yet there is a, a little bit of daylight between them, and just enough to keep these as separate words. Now, the origin of the, obviously, the root word, if you go far back enough, is the same as the root word for the word equal in English, which is equus in Latin. But this iniquity word that came into English through the French of the Middle Ages, which had the meaning of wickedness. This is the word that was defined by Johnson and Webster in their dictionaries. I don't think Johnson had inequity in his dictionary at all. It wasn't an important enough word for him.
3: Why put it in his dictionary when he had it in his heart?
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you do see iniquities in the Bible. I remember learning this as a part of the prayer in the Catholic Mass. You know, wash me, O Lord, from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And so clearly by that context, you understand that it means wickedness or evilness. In fact, the adjectives that we associate with the word iniquity kind of make it clear. Wicked or forgiving or evil or guilty or moral. These are all the words that if you do a a corpus search with the word iniquity, you're going to come up with. But clearly the word that is used the most frequently with iniquity is den, as Emily said, den of iniquity. And that's a phrase that goes back to the 17th century.
2: And we have other more common words that we use to do that job that iniquity technically does. Right? right, We talk about evil and wickedness. and.
0: Yeah, there's something very specifically almost biblical about it. In fact, it was in the film Pulp Fiction. It's in that sort of rant, that biblical or pseudo-biblical phrase. That's... Ezekiel
1: 25,
2: 17. Neil, can you recite it? Oh, and
1: I will strike down upon thee with furious anger. Exactly. Or something like that.
0: Exactly. That's the way I think it ends, but it begins with this phrase that includes the word iniquity. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the iniquities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men.
2: Is that a fake Bible verse? It is
0: a fake Bible verse. It's sort okay. of an amalgam. It's close to a couple of uh, different Bible verses, but it was clearly kind of made up. I some... think the
1: joke of it was that he was supposed to have gotten it wrong. Oh. That's... And yet he still thinks he's got the word of God.
2: Oh, that's interesting. Well, you say it with authority, and it's sh- got authority behind sure it. He sure has right. authority.
0: What's interesting is that even in this pop culture context of a very famous film, this word immediately brings us to the world of biblical language. But with inequity, this is different because inequity didn't come down from Latin through French. Inequity was actually constructed in English from the Latin prefix in, meaning not, the negating prefix, and the word equity, which existed. You never think of the fact that we don't have an English word equity. You know, we have iniquity, which means wickedness, but there's no equity, which means goodness or something. And so you can't break iniquity down, but you can break inequity down. And that's just one of those things that makes English so kind of weird and bizarre that there's no logical parallel between these two otherwise perfectly parallel words.
1: I think what happens sometimes with words is that because they take so long to develop and to be borrowed and then to be passed down, and then they're formed, sometimes the difference that matters is when they are formed. Exactly. And so I think of words like famous and infamous. We talk about infamy. And so people sometimes interpret that as being, oh, we've added a prefix to the word famous. But that's not really the case. Right. And so people wonder, well, this is why you can be famous and infamous at the same time. They're not necessarily opposites, but they're words that can adhere to each other in this different way, even though they look like they have the prefix going on. Of course, we always talked about the flammable, inflammable problem. You know, inflammable, the prefix was part of the origin of the word, inflammare. And so, in that prefix, of course, does not mean not. It means within. Something that was inflammable was able to be consumed within flames. And so, people sometimes would interpret the in as the negative prefix and then interpret inflammable as not flammable, and that's where all this confusion began. So, I think part of what you're noticing with this is that the point when the prefix would develop would then alter the word according to what it meant at that point. It can mean different things at different points, and so the prefix... Altering the meaning would then affect it at different
0: points. Yeah, searches of 15th, 16th century texts. And it's clear that these two words were actually kind of interchangeable at that time. But that was a time before fixed spelling. It's a time before big dictionaries or or standardized spelling. And so the fact that these words are confused today actually has a 400-year history of these words slowly kind of overlapping each other. One thing that's interesting, though, is that the adjectives that are formed from these nouns do follow different morphological paths, so they're completely unlikely to be mistaken for each other because we say inequitable, but we also say iniquitous, right? There aren't parallel adjectives to these very parallel nouns, and that's kind of bizarre also. It's weird how things sort of land in English when, all things being equal, you'd expect forms to resemble each other. Sometimes they don't. For example... We say equality, but we don't say equalness quite so often, although equalness is understandable. In Shakespeare's day, I think they were used essentially as synonyms, but as frequently as each other. And that's kind of interesting, too. Like, there's no real logic to the fact that we have settled on equality rather than equalness in the English language. And yet, equity and equality also seem to be kind of synonyms and kind of not. They do share a root, an ultimate root, of course, of equus, meaning even or fair or equal in Latin. But Latin had a word for equity, equitas, and it had a word for equality, a separate word, equalitas. And so the difference between equity and equality isn't something that's new to English, it's something that goes back 2,000 years or more, you know, all the way back to the original Latin words upon which these words were based.
1: I don't know if anyone has seen this on social media, this meme I've seen that tries to explain the difference between equity and equality. And it shows a picture of Three, like, children standing behind a fence trying to look at a baseball game. And equality is when you give them each a box, and it only helps the tallest kid see over the fence. Whereas equity is if you give the shortest kid three boxes, the second kid two, the third kid one, and then they can all see over the fence. So this is sort of how we've, like, adjusted and tweaked the meanings of those words, probably after the fact.
0: Well, absolutely, because equality kind of means just sameness in shape or status, but equity has this idea of fairness or justice that is different and separate from equality, even though, of course, equality in a broadest sense could incorporate those ideas of fairness as well. It's an interesting point. It's something that I think dictionaries have to address because if words are being sliced that thinly, then we have to make sure the definitions account for those distinctions. And again, these are ancient distinctions that have been carried on pretty consistently in English. And they came through French. And what's funny is the way that these words landed also in English from French, because French changed the way it pronounced things. So in Latin, you would pronounce the QU, as we do in English sometimes, like equus, equal, equus. But in French, you say equite. You pronounce a QU with a K sound. But a lot of those were switched to a G sound. So, for example, in French, the word equal is égal in modern French. So the QU became a G sound, which is why we have the word egalitarian in English, rather than for us to have the word equalitarian.
1: In French, they pronounce the Q as a K, and so people might have heard that and then adjusted the K
0: to a it actually switched the it's, hard G sound. It, it softened it. to a G in French before it came to English, actually. Okay. And it, that's just a process. Some of them softened more. Some of them stayed a hard K sound, and they're still spelled today with a Q-U. And some of them softened to that G sound, because that's the one that English took that's why we spell these words in different ways. Even though if you go back to Latin, of course, they all kind of start in the same place. All things, again, being equal.
2: This doesn't mean that equalitarian couldn't happen.
0: No, but and here's the thing. It would be perfectly understandable, don't you think?
2: I do. I do. To touch on inequity and iniquity again, I was thinking of the distinction in pronunciation is not one that is made for many speakers of English. There's an right. e, i distinction that some dialects of English do not have at all. And so for those speakers, iniquity, iniquity, there's no distinction between those.
1: I have to say that I didn't have a church upbringing. And so iniquity is not a term that I grew up knowing really at all until I became an adult, I think.
0: But I was an altar boy, so I heard the word all the time. What it just occurs to me as you said that, that I think I basically was confused enough. I heard it in the Mass. And I knew of the word inequity. It made them both gray to me.
1: You thought they were talking about unfairness. Well, and you could
0: almost squint and understand it that way. It would still kind of work. And so as a consequence, I never used the word inequity because I clearly was confusing it with iniquity. And I think it took a long time for me to kind of shake those out.
3: I think I still remember the first time I came across the word iniquity. And I was in sixth grade, oddly enough. But I do remember understanding it from context. And it was my sixth grade class was doing for some reason or other a production of Tom Jones, the Henry <laughs> Fielding work, which wow. is kind of an odd choice. And the squire, the one who takes care of foundling Tom Jones, I played his character and he referred at one point to something as being a den of iniquity. Oh. The classic case that Emily referenced earlier. And I thought at the time it was very clear what it meant. No way it would be a den of inequity. You know, it was a Absolutely. den of iniquity. And um, that
0: meant wickedness. Yes. Yeah. It's fascinating. And it's clear that in English, equity also has this other idea because the idea of fairness is attached to the idea of equity. That's why we use equity to refer to like the shares in a corporation Mm -hmm. or the amount of money that you have paid toward a mortgage, for example, because it has to do with this idea of fairness. And that has stuck with equity. It has nothing to do with iniquity.
1: We even have the term sweat equity, which is... The I, work I, that you've put in. My parents watched This Old House all the time. Sure. so I know that it's the work you put into a house to give it value. So and
3: very different from sweat. Equity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but even like the tail just grows longer with it. It's like we're not yes. even talking about fairness anymore. We're talking about just contributions into something to give it value.
2: Equity has expanded in the language where inequity and equity and iniquity has just stuck to its little wicked self. Let us know what you think about Word Matters. Review us on Apple Podcasts or email us at m-w.com. You can also visit us at nepm.org. And for the word of the day and all your general dictionary needs, visit merriam-webster.com. Our theme music is by Tobias Voigt. Artwork by Annie Jacobson. Word Matters is produced by John Vosey and Adam Maid. For Neil Servan, Ammon Shea, and Peter Sokolowski, I'm Emily Brewster. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media.